You are listening to WTUZ Radio Podcast. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. I hope everyone is doing well on this Gregorian calendar, their version of a new year, 2020. Uh, It is Saturday. So the inspiration for this particular podcast, um, shout out to the sis. Uh, We were kind of corresponding via direct messaging and she ran across some information which most people run across when they are doing their genealogy. This is why it is important for you to do your family genealogy because no one can tell you what your heritage is. No one can tell you your family story, okay? So she was looking through her records, uh, her family records in the 1700s to the uh, late 1800s. She didn't find any slavery, which most folk that do their genealogy on their family, they aren't finding slavery. But what they are finding are Black European ancestry, American Indian ancestry, and in Sis' case, she found uh, one of her relatives as a freed man. And it showed as an employee. Now again, those that are doing their genealogy, and even if you're not finding your relative so far in that genealogy, uh, in the the, uh, search through those records, be patient. It takes some time. But I know you know what I mean. You have ran across these records where you see folks listed as freedmen And then you should know to go to the Freedman Bureau records for that particular area to look for your folks. And then you're also finding employee on some of those records. Okay? Again, this is why it is very important for you to do your genealogy. Okay, do the research. No one can tell you who you are. It is by your bloodline. Again, no one can tell you who you are. It is your family lineage, your family's particular story. Get with your elders. Get the names, even if they don't know the particular lineage and heritage to get started on your genealogy. Get 
the names of your ancestors and the location where your ancestors were at, okay? And this is especially to the next generations, okay? You millennials, because probably a lot of you, you don't have, uh, you know, big mom and papa still around. I think my generation, Gen X, were the last to really grow up with papa and grandma and them. So if you have someone that fits that category, if papa and big mama ain't around or mama ain't around, if they have brothers and sisters still around, go visit your elders and get that information. Even if they don't know the particular stories, get the names, get the locations. And I am telling you, the records are there. Because on my particular father's side, although my father would tell us who we were, my great uncle and my grandmother would tell us as well, my great uncle remembered specifically, okay? He remembered the specific areas. And true enough, I went to the records, was right there, right down to the specific area where he told me. I matched that up, matched up where my uh, granny said the family moved, and exactly what they told me were there. It was there. And I was able to trace back from what they told me further back in the records. Okay? So the title of this particular podcast is The Freedmen and the Black Slave Owners. Okay? Now, you're going to understand, bear with me, why I am combining the two. Because a lot of people throw around this term freedmen and really does, don't understand what the term means, why it was used. And quite frankly, um, of course, Hollywood, I'm seeing they're fantasizing it. Woo, 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 this, that, and the third. So we're going to get into it because it is not straightforward as folks think that it is. Just like the history that they are telling us isn't straightforward, okay? So shout out to sis that, uh, you know, we had that dialogue this morning. It's appreciated. I'm like, you know what? She's right. So here we go. Let's get into a little bit of technology here. And of course, I'm going to start with you know, their official story, and you know, he go to history, the history channel. All right. So, as you can see, this is the Freedmen's Bureau. Okay, so this is history.com uh, family. Okay, so the Freedmen's Bureau, formerly known as the Bureau of Refugees, Freed Men and Abandoned Lands was established in 1865 by Congress 
to help millions of former black slaves and who? Okay, and it's black slaves. We gonna get into that. So be patient. So it was established in 1865 by Congress to help millions of millions of former black slaves and who? Poor white. Sipping my water. Sipping my water. Sipping my water. This is why when I do bring up the Freedmen's Bureau in passing during discussions, I tell you that white folks are on those Freedmen records. It ain't something that I guessed or I made up. It's something I've seen because I've gone into the records for the particular area where my family members resided. That's why I was in those records. And it blew me away to see white people on the records. But then I remember, oh, wait a minute. White people were also on those plantations working side by side by the quote, quote, black slaves. Only difference is they call the white people the indentured servants and call the black people the slaves. Okay? So, yeah, even the concept of the Freedmen's Bureau being exclusively for quote, quote, blacks is false. Go check the records. And so that's anyone doing their genealogy whether you're melanated slash black or even white slash Caucasian. If you're doing your genealogy, which you should be, look on those Freedmen rolls. Okay? So, uh, and poor whites in the South in the aftermath of the Civil War. Okay, so we're going to get into the Civil War uh, this year. Okay, I'm going to have to start with the war before that, but we are going to get into the Civil War. We're, we're not going to have a choice but to get into the Civil War. The Freedmen's Bureau provided food, housing, and medical aid, established schools, and offered legal assistant, assistance. It also attempted to settle formal former slaves on land confiscated or abandoned during the war. Let me back that up. It also attempted to settle former slaves on land confiscated or abandoned during the war. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, the Bureau was prevented from fully carrying out its programs due to a shortage of funds and personnel along with the political race and the, I'm sorry, the, po the politics of race and reconstruction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Creation of the uh, Freedmen's Bureau. The Freedmen's Bureau was established by an act of Congress on March 3rd, 1865, two months before Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to the unions, U Ulysses S. Grant, at the courthouse in uh, the Virginia, effectively ending the Civil War. Intended as a temporary agency, 
to last during the war and one year afterward. The Bureau was placed under the authority of the War Department and the majority of its original employees were Civil War soldiers. Okay, and that makes sense. So this little tidbit I found interesting. Did you know Howard University, a historical all-black school in Washington, D.C., was established in 1867? You mean two years after the Civil War? And named for Oliver Howard, one of its founders and head of the Freeman's Bureau. Sips Water. He served as the university's president from 1869 to 1874. All right, so uh, we're going to jump real quick just to another source. So this is the Oklahoma Historic Society. Uh, Freedman history, right? So just want to give us a couple of angles on this of what they're officially telling us. And then we're going to dig deeper and break down the codes. All right. So Freedman history, when the five tribes were forcibly removed from their homelands in 1830s to 1840s, people enslaved by the tribes also made the long journey to Indian territory. By 1861, eight to 10,000 black people were enslaved throughout Indian territory. So eight to 10,000, mm, okay. What happened to the millions though? What happened to the millions? But I, I, I'll, I'll continue. In 1863, the Cherokee National Council passed an act freeing all people enslaved by their tribes, but many slaveholders ignore the law. After the Civil War, new treaties between the U.S. government and the Cherokee, Chickasaw, Choctaw, Muskogee, or the Creek and Seminole abolished slavery among the tribes and outlawed and outlined citizenship rights to the freedmen and their descendants. These treaties were ratified in the summer of 1866. Okay, so they kind of said a lot there. So they're saying um, only eight to 10,000 Black people were enslaved throughout the Indian Territory. Okay. Well, we fencing to continue, though. Let's continue. All right? So we can't say a bunch of Indians enslaved a bunch of um, African slaves. Okay? So let's continue. Freedmen and the Dolls' Rolls. The Dolls' Rolls list individuals who lived with their tribes in the Indian Territory who choose to apply and were approved by the Dolls' Commission. Dolls and Rollies are listed by household on the census cards. And Freeman cards list individually individuals formerly enslaved by one of the five tribes. The term Freeman also is used to describe the defense the descendants of these individuals. Although there were intermarrying, although 
there were intermarriage between blacks and Indians. The Dawes Commission enrolled people of mixed heritage as freedmen and indicated no, no blood relation to the tribe. So those of us with um, Indian heritage, okay, we already know of the intermarriages between blacks and Indians and not the Indians that they show you today looking more Caucasian and looking more Asian. We're talking about the Indians of records that look like them cigar Indians that were black looking. But anyhow, we already know this. Those of us that do our genealogy, we already know that our families intermarried with Indians, okay? So the part that of labeled as blacks, I can't account for everybody. I can only account for what I found in my particular family records. That black part was black European, not African, was black European married into the Indians, okay? Because if it was they were African, it would have said African, and I should have been able to also find the ship manifest. So I can only speak for me personally. I have not found African, but I sure found Black European. And when they came over, on what specific ship and whom they married, the Dawes Commission enrolled people of mixed heritage, heritage as freedmen and indicated no blood relation to the tribe. Enrollment for the Dawes Rolls began in 1898 and ended in March of 1907. Although there were a few names added as late as 1914. Census cards list the enrollee's name, age, sex, blood quantum tribe, place of residence, and roll number. Okay, so those of us that um, look at those dolls' rolls, y'all know what, what they look like and all that jazz. In general, the age shown on the census card is the age of the individual around 1902. Members of the same household are typically listed on the same card, and Freedman cards include names of the enrollees, former owner on the back. Okay, now I have never seen a live one, so I don't I can't vouch for that part of no owner being listed on, on the back. Okay. But those of you that are doing your genealogy, I highly encourage you to search those dolls rolls as well and you're going to see on the dolls rolls um you're going to see a lot a lot of interesting things okay if you trace your family heritage and you're going back looking at the names and name look 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 at names name 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 names you jump over to those dolls rolls sometimes you can catch where the hijack was where your family all of those years showed up as black or Indian on the census, but then you jump over on the dolls roll 
and you see where your family members show up on the dolls rolls as um, not all of them, what they did, they mixed and matched family members and you'll see them show up as white on the dolls rolls. Okay, so just giving you a little tip there to cross-reference those dolls, those dolls rolls with your family records, and sometimes you can catch that hijack. All right. Okay, so I did want to uh, give you all that uh, perspective as well. This is from the Oklahoma Historical Society. Now, what we are going to get into. Oh, we're going to get into the own the slavery, blacks owning slave parts, okay? So, in summary, before I get to that, <laughs> so I just want to be clear that we understand what the Freedmen Bureau uh, is, or the Freedmen, who they were. Um, just in summary, the Freedmen Bureau was a uh, Freedmen Bureau, formerly known as the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen and Abandoned Lands, was established in 1965 by Congress to help millions of former black slaves and poorer whites in the South in the aftermath of the Civil War. The Freedmen's Bureau provided food, housing, and medical aid, established schools, and offered legal assistance. It attempted to settle former slaves on land confiscated or abandoned during the war. Okay, so just want us to be clear on what the Freedmen Bureau was and who were the freedmen. Okay, so in this account, it's telling you, of course, it says black slaves, and we're going to get into that, poor whites, okay, and then when we look at the um, Oklahoma, it also talks about um, blacks who were um, enslaved throughout the Indian Territory. And um, it also gets into the freedmen being on the dog's rolls and the two uh, types of reasons they could be on the dog's rolls is that... Um, they lived within the Indian Territory, and they were um, on the freedmen rolls because they lived in the Indi Indian Territories, and it was intermarriage between Blacks and Indians. Okay? So I want us to be clear on what freedmen means. So that has to mean mixture of Black, Okay, so they're some they're classifying some as slaves, black, those that are intermarrying the Indians, black, those that lived among the Indians, and white, the poor whites. Okay? All right, so let's get into black slave owners. Okay, so we're going to use a multitude of resources. All right, and I really had to go on blood. I had to go to his sources, and I'm glad I did because I basically found out that blood, just as I sp suspected, 
was coding his stuff. So this book is Black Slave Owners, Free Black Slave Masters in South Carolina, 1790 through 1860. This is by Larry Kroger. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Koger. Okay. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay, so I'm just going to read the foreword. And I'm only going to uh, go to a couple of his stuff because then I had to wind up going to his source because I wasn't satisfied what he was saying because I do my research. So I know what he was saying was coded. All right. So in South Carolina, free Negro masters were similar to white slave owners. Both exploited the labor of slaves with desires for profits. Quite often, the colored artisan, artisan, I'm sorry, artisan bought slaves who were employed in their trades. Huh? Both exploited the labor of slaves with the desire for profits. Quite often, the colored artisans bought slaves who were employed in their trades. Um, this goes back to the inspiration for this particular podcast when the sis ran across her family, her ancestors' records listed as freedmen, but they were listed as an employee. Others bought slaves to be hired out and then kept the wages of their bondsmen. They also established a master-slave relationship which demanded subservience to from their slaves. The documents I have examined show Negro masters selling rebellious slaves or placing disobedient bondsmen in local jails or the workhouse. So wouldn't bondsmen means that they were serving out a sentence? Huh? Mm. Just like when we talked about how Europeans got, came over here. They came over here on indentured servant contracts, which had two categories. One came over as indentured servants, labor contracts, no more than seven years, which would make them an employee, okay? And they worked on those plantations. The other category on indentured servants were they chose to come and work out their prison sentence. So instead of serving the time in jail, they chose to come to the new world. Of course, if they were approved to do so or selected to do so, to work out their prison contract. All right? That included blacks and whites of Europe. So let's be clear. The indentured, the indentured servant contracts included blacks and whites. How do we know that it included blacks and whites? Because when you check 
the records, the ship manifest, you see black Europeans coming over on them boats. Hence why the Freedmen Bureau has white folks on it also because white folks, poor white folks, were on those plantations working side by side with blacks as well. So let's continue. Yet black slaveholding had a benevolent side. Black folks labored for years to purchase the freedom of family members who were slaves to white masters. Still, others acquired the freedom of beloved friends. Okay, so black slaveholders, the benevolent side of slavery, purchased the freedom of family members or was it to purchase those indentured servant contracts? But let's continue. The survey of the local documents could not demonstrate the dominance of the uh, benevolent or kinship aspect of black slave owning. Instead, the census of 1850 demonstrated that 83.1% of the Negro masters were mulattoes while nearly 90% of their slaves were dark-skinned. Where was the kinship? Well, we know where the kinship was because you had Black Europeans in power during this time and they had already been intermarrying. So we, are, we know where the kinship is. Since mulattoes primarily married mulattoes, the black family owned by light-skinned African-Americans were seldom keen and overwhelmingly held as laborers. Um, okay, so since mulattoes primarily marry mulattoes, the black folks owned by light-skinned African-Americans, you still haven't proved they're African, but okay, were seldom keen and were overwhelmingly held as laborers. Uh, you mean as indentured servants? That's the laborers you're talking about? So just in this short paragraph, you see that the term slaves is a lot more complex than history is telling you. And I don't remember history telling me that 83% of slave owners were um, Negro masters or mulattoes. I don't remember history telling me that. And 90% of their slaves were dark-skinned. Uh, but, you know, um, um, they couldn't have been family because mulattoes mainly married other mulattoes. So then they had to be held as laborers. So which is it? Are they laborers or are they slaves? Or was slave, the term slave, swapped out for indentured servants? 
By and large, Negro slave owners were darker copies of their white counterparts. Okay, so we're going to keep going. Um, trying to see when I want to jump over to the other. Um, all right, let me jump over to the other one. So hold on a second, because uh, I did pull up another source. Uh, let me make sure. Pulled up another source. Bear with me, family. I might have wanted to... Oh, I did. I wanted to... Yep, okay, I, I'm sorry, family. Let me bring it back up. Ay, 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 ay. I went too early on it. My bad, my bad. I went too early, I went too early. Okay, let me bring it back up. I went too early. Okay, because I had to go grab blood source because he was frustrating me at that point. <laughs> okay, I just needed to read another paragraph. Let me see if I'm back up. Yep, I'm back up. All right, so black slaveholding is a historical phenomenon which has been fully explored by scholars. Graduate students of history are often surprised to learn that some free black blacks own slaves. Even historians are frequently skeptical until they discover the number of black masters and the number of slaves owned by them. Too many readers... Slavery was an institution exclusively utilized by slave owners. The fact that free blacks own slaves has been lost in the annals of history. Mm -hmm. Yet, as one time or another, free black slave owners resided in every southern state, which the consonants slavery and even in northern states. In Louisiana, Maryland, South Carolina, and Virginia, free blacks own more than 10,000 slaves according to the federal census of 1830. Okay, so let's get back. Uh, I had to go to his particular reference because I didn't like the way he kept intermingling slaves with labor. So he listed a source and I said, okay, you're forcing me to go to your source. All right. So here was his source. Uh, the free black owners, um, yeah, free black owners of slaves. A reprisal of the Woodson thesis. Okay, this is a journal article. So, free black, let me see if I can blow this up. Yep, free black owners of slaves, a reprisal of the Woodson thesis. So this is R. Halliburton Jr. So I just want to remind y'all, let me show you who this original Halliburton coat of arms from Europe is. This is the original Halliburton coat of arms. You see that person up there? That's a brown person. Okay? So once again, I want you to always remember 
time periods, location, who was in power, okay? I'm only showing you this because when, as soon as I saw a Halliburton wrote this particular thesis, I know that the original coat of arms of a Halliburton has a melanated person on it, okay? All right. So let's get back to this article. Carter G. Woodson founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History in 1915. John Hope Franklin has described that accomplishment as launching the era of the new Negro history. Franklin wrote further, Dr. Woodson and his associates went about the task of exploiting the myth of Negro history and putting the Negro in its rightful place in the history of this country. It is indeed true that Woodson exposed many myths about black history. However, he may also be the creator of a myth. Okay. Um, undergrad history, undergraduate history students are usually amazed to learn of the large number of free blacks. Oh, I thought I can highlight this. Free blacks in antebellum period. Graduate students are often surprised to learn that some of these free blacks own slaves. History professors are frequently skeptical when they hear the number of free black slaveholders and the number of slaves they owned. Indeed, in 1905, Booker T. Washington wrote, my own personal recollection brings no case in mind of free black men owning slaves, nor am I able to refer you to any books making references to this phase of slavery in case it did exist. All right, so y'all catch that Booker T. Washington talking about some, he don't know nothing about it. Yet at one time or another, free blacks owned slaves in each of the 13 original states and later in every state that, well, that had slavery. So did y'all catch that? Yet at one time or another, free blacks owned slaves in each of the 13 original states. You know, them 13 original colonies that was formed by King James Stewart, who is black. And later in every state that has slavery. Where did these free blacks come from? Some had never been slaves. Let me sip this water. Huh? Where did these free blacks come from? Some had never been slaves. They had been what? Who? Huh? They had been indentured servants who had become free. Now, I want you all to peep game. I found this source from Old Boy's book. He listed his source right there. So why could not he have said in his book that some of those black slave owners were formerly indentured servants? Why could not blood have said that? 
Why did I have to go to his particular reference? Because I knew he was covering up because I know what I know through research and through reading that he was intermingling, tap dancing around the definition of slave. And yet in his own same source, it says, what? Where did these free blacks come from? Some had never been slaves. They had been indentured servants who had become free. Them same indentured servants I just done told you about, I told you that were contracted labor, or rather it be an employee, or rather it be contracted labor, using their labor to serve out a prison sentence. Some had purchased their freedom. Others were born of free parents, while some were born by free, I'm sorry, some were born free by miscegenation. Slaves were also emancipated for materials, military duty. Um, a merit by merit. Let me say that. Shoot, my country behind. I'm getting tongue tied. By merit, military duty for faithful service by last will and testament, saving a life, advanced age, or infirmity, and other reasons. So I'm just saying. I'm just saying, why did I have to go to blood's source to get that piece of nugget? This is how history is hidden, family. Literally. All right? So that ain't uh, all, all of that. I'm going to have to jump back because now I'm missing... Um, the rest of that because it's more meat to that so I may have to stop and find it because I thought I had pulled pulled it up uh, that whole particular section all right so it says many of the black masters in the lower south were large planters who owned scores of slaves and planted large quantities of cotton rice and sugar cane in 1860 for example Augusti Donato a free colored planter of St. Landry Parish in Louisiana owned 70 slaves who worked 500 acres of land and produced 100 bales of cotton. About 600 miles to the east of Louisiana in the county of uh, Subter, South Carolina, William Ellison, a free colored planter, okay, those of us that um, research and study, and if you're up on our brother Kui Mayo and up on brother Legendary top catch y'all should be familiar with this name william ellison a free colored planter used the labor of 70 slaves to cultivate 100 bales of cotton in 1861 in south carolina robert michael collins and margaret mitchell harris used their slaves to till the soil of santee plantation and grew 240,000 pounds of rice in 1849 but the majority of the large colored planters live in Louisiana and planted sugar cane. In 1816, uh, Madame 
Ricard and her sons, Ricard, free mulattoes. Uh, okay, ain't that the Ricard rum people? <laughs> I just said they little rum bottle pop up in my head. Ain't that the rum people, y'all? Yeah, so um, Madam Ricard and her son. Now I want y'all to peep this name. Madam Caprian Ricard and her son, Pierre. Y'all know people, Lisanna, with them French names. Pierre Ricard, free mulattoes of the Ibeville Parish. Um... Come on, thing. Damn it. This thing got the nerve to be froze. Now, you know I'm fired up. Wait a minute, family. I don't appreciate it. Okay. Apologize. Let me do the cover so y'all can see the cover anyway. All right. I don't appreciate this, Kendall. So it's getting confused. So let me go back to the beginning. All right. Okay, so then we go to Picard. Uh, do, 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 do. Sorry, there we go. Get your stuff together, uh, Kendall. <laughs> All right, so there we go. So they had, basically, the Picard folks had 168 slaves. The joint operation of mother and son used the labor of slaves to produce 515 hogshead of sugar in 1859. Yet not all of the black masters were planters or from the South. In fact, the city of New York had eight black slaveholders. I'm sorry. Yeah. Slaveholders slash owners who owned 17 slaves in 1830. In short, the institution of black slave owning was widespread. Stretching as far north as New York and as far south as Florida, extending westward into Kentucky, Mississippi, Louisiana, and Missouri. One may ask, where did these free blacks come from? Um, okay, so this is what kind of burnt me up with him because, again, I went to his exact source and I told you where they said they came from. But let's just read what he said. One may ask, where did these free black masters come from? Many of them were former slaves who were manumitted because of their kinship ties to whites. Now, this is what he's given all of this. But yet again, I went to his source. Where did these free blacks come from? Some had never been slaves. They had been indentured servants who had become free. Some had purchased their freedom. Others were born of free parents, while some were born free by misogynist nation. <sighs> All right, so I'm not even finna read this foolishness, what he was saying, because it was so confusing, because when you have to lie, it gets confusing. Okay? All right, so I just wanted to show you the hijack. So let me pause this. I have to, I went back to his original source because after I caught him in this lie, 
I was turned off to the highest level of turnability. So uh, let me find where I um, want to read the rest of his original source to you, fam. So hold on a second. Okay, family. All right, so let's get to it again. Okay, I had to pull the entire um, article because uh, I got the entire thing instead of that, um, the, the first excerpt. All right, so where I busted blood in that book and his lies. But, you know, thank you, ancestors, for having me get that book so I can prove to the family on how they skate around the true story, all right? Because I never would have got to this particular resource had I not read Blood's book. And because I do read and I do research, I knew he was hemming and humming and tap dancing. And what he said was not making sense. So he listed his resources, which anybody that's putting up historical information, or if you want to tell some historical timeline, run them receipts. Run the receipts. So I do give him respect for that. Now, where he has me all the way messed up, I'm looking at your receipts, blood. And it's telling you exactly where them free blacks come from. Some had never been slaves. They had been indentured servants. And you ain't mentioned no indentured servants yet in that eminent humming that you was doing. Some had purchased their freedom. Others were born of free parents, while some were free by misogynation, which misogynation, and I paused and went, because I was frustrated, because that means intermarrying. That's what misogynation means. So they want to sit up here and act like they don't know? They don't know where free blacks came from? Okay, then, let's keep reading. So, you know, from that point, blood then totally turned me off. I have to decode everything that he says. So I'm like, okay, well, let me just read through his source, okay? So just giving you all a tip that when you're reading stuff, they're listing their sources, check their sources. And if their sources have sources, check their sources' sources. All right. Okay. So uh, let's get on with this. All right. So it's just going on how uh, slaves were emancipated uh, for military duty, faithful service, uh, or, you know, somebody's last will and testament and saving a life, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So come on now. This is the second time I tried to. Okay, now I know why I couldn't do it before. All right, now I know I just have to do that. All right, so moreover, runaway slaves constantly swelled the ranks of freedom, of freedmen, sorry. Moreover, runaway slaves constantly swelled the ranks of freedmen. Free blacks were slave owners for more than 200 years. Black owners obtained slaves by inheritance through white and black relatives and by gifts and purchases. 
Many blacks had become accustomed to slavery in Africa. Many of the slaves in this country had previously been slaves there. Others had been owners of slaves in Africa. And I find that interesting. So if many blacks had been accustomed to slavery in Africa, many of the slaves in this country had been previously slaves there. Others had been owners of the slaves in Africa. Yeah. Okay. So they brought them over for, from Africa to be slaves. And then they were slave owners in Africa? Hmm. So are you saying that the blacks over in Africa that owned slaves brought the slaves over here? These many African slaves? Okay. It did not therefore seem to them unnatural for a Negro in America to hold his brethren in bondage when he had become free and able to buy his fellows. Okay, so, okay, sorry, I was just looking at the history. Free blacks became slave owners early in our history. Indeed, one of the first known legal sanctions of slavery, other than as punishment for crimes, involved a black owner. In 1654, and we should know this story, we should know this story, those of us that research and um, are, you know, listen to others that research as well. But I pause there because it says free black owners became slave owners early in our history. Indeed, one of the first known legal sanctions of slavery other than as punishment for crimes involved a black owner. In 1654, Anthony Johnson and his wife Mary, in a court suit, gained the services of their black servant, John Kasor, for life. Actually, slave owning by free Negroes was so common in the period of the Commonwealth as to pass unnoticed and without criticism by those who consciously recorded events of the time. Mm. Child. Let me back up. Oh, man, this, this stuff is a mess, family. It is a mess. Thank you, ancestors, for reminding me of something. Let's go back. Moreover, runaway slaves constantly swell the ranks of freedom. Free blacks were slave owners for more than 200 years. Black owners obtained slavery by inheritance through white and black relatives and gifts and purchases. Many blacks had many blacks had become accustomed to slavery in Africa. Many of the slaves in this country had previously been slaves there. Others had been owners of slaves in Africa. Now, what came to my mind after I was down in here also? We have to follow the history of the Moors. Okay? The Moors coming out of North Africa, 
which North Africa was just a small portion of Africa family, almost uh, equivalent to one of the quote, quote, states in the United States. It was a small portion. Okay. When you look at ancient maps in Africa, I keep bringing this up and I'll have to, um, I'll find that map. I'll include it in this material. I have it somewhere in my stuff, so I'll find it. And I may even pause and, and find it to put it up here. Um, you have whites on the continent of Africa. And the Moors and the whites, and the whites owned their own kingdoms in Africa. They were fighting each other as well, right? And the Moors took whites in bondage, all right, as slaves. So I just find it interesting that they're talking about um, black owners inherited slaves through white and black relatives and that some of these blacks were slaves in Africa themselves before they became slave owners. So it was natural for them to hold their brethren in slavery. So I just want us to be mindful of the whole journey of the Moors going around the world conquering and the Moors' relationship with white people, okay? So the Moors coming from um, North Africa through Asia to Europe, And to me, I, I can only go by the Moors' journey and their relationship to white people. Now, this is just to me. This is just to me using logic. That the Moors brought through conquest and then eventually intermarrying and all that jazz, the Caucasians from Africa to Asia slash the Caucasus Mountains. And even the Caucasus Mountains had melanated people. That area had melanated people. Go do the research. To Europe. To Europe, to the Americas. So the story of slavery in America is far from what they are telling you with that Africa connection. Okay? Because what we do know, white folks were on those plantations with black people. Okay? But we do not see the records. We cannot find these records of the millions of Africans coming to the Americas. We don't find it. We find the records of the Europeans black and white. All right. So I just want to throw that in there again. We cannot find the record of millions of Africans coming from Africa to America. The highest that they've said to date is 300,000. 300,000. But I do find it interesting that they put in here 
Well, yeah, you know, they were doing that over in Africa and they was selling and owning each other. So, you know, slavery was nothing to them. And I can't say that they're lying because they're not lying. It did happen. But the missing piece to that link is also white folks and black folks were in Africa together. So when you talk about the term African-American, it is not exclusive to black and brown skin. Okay? That's another hidden secret. Okay. So let's get back to this. So free, yeah, 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 they became slave owners. Anthony Johnson and his wife pretty much went to court because Anthony Johnson then was black, went to court and got their black servant, John, for life. Actually, slave owning, and so let me not skip over that either. So that's 1654, fam. So if slavery was exclusive of just black people, and white slave owners, how in 1654, Anthony Johnson and his old lady, Mary, was able to go to court and get another black person as a servant for life. If slavery was exclusive to African slaves, being brought over on a boat by white people. How was a black person who was supposed to be a slave during this time in 1654, how was a black person able to go to court now? Let's be clear, to go to court and get another black person as a slave for life. So this concept of, again, of what they're telling you about slavery, it is much more complex than what they're telling you. And it was far from about black and white. As I keep telling you all, this was about business. And it's so messed up that even the official narrative about Africa it's so diluted because we know that the Moors and the white folks were in Africa together, warring each other, and then partnering up in some cases and intermarrying, and then the Moors enslaving some. And we can see the migration between the Moors and white folks to these different areas. Let's continue. Ciao. Actually, slave owning by free Negroes was so common in the period of the Commonwealth as to pass unnoticed and without criticism by those who consciously recorded events of the time. John H. Russell in his The Free Negroes in Virginia, 1692-1865 wrote, 1619, I apologize, 
Remember, I keep telling y'all, the visitation of Kent from 1619 lists all of the surnames that hit the American shores. Okay? So, once again, John H. Russell in his The Free Negroes in Virginia, 1619. Remember, I gave you all, and shout out to Sis, who gave me that information of the Kent Visitation of 1619. I told you, which lists all of those surnames. I told you those surnames were the surnames of the Black Europeans coming from Europe. I told you that the 1619 project that they're running around talking about is the start of slavery. It's some bull crap. I told you that the 1619 Kent visitation is the 1619 project. But anyway, the free Negroes in Virginia, 1619 through 1865, wrote, the most remarkable property rights possessed by free Negroes was the right to acquire, own, and alienate slaves. I'll pause. I'm fencing the two. Drink my water. <laughs> they say what now? The most remarkable property rights possessed by free Negroes was the right to acquire, own, and alienate slaves. Indeed, for more than 20 years from the time when free Negroes first appeared in the courts, there was no legal restriction upon their right to own indentured white servants. Yeah. Bomb dropped. Huh? What you say now? Blink 75 times. Huh? I thought slavery was about black Africans being brought from West Africa by white slave owners and slave captures. You say what now? Upon their right to own indentured white servants and they put in uh, parentheses in Virginia. There were black slaveholders in Boston as early as 1724 and Connecticut by 1783 and in Alabama by 1797. Among the earliest records in the deed books of St. Augustine, Florida, Florida is a document recording the sale of black slave to a free black by a free black. Hmm. But I thought slavery was about African black slaves being captured and bought by white slaveholders to come to America. Mm -hmm. 
1790, 48 Maryland black owners possessed 143 slaves. Nat Butler, a free black who lived near Aberdeen in Hartford County on a small farm and regularly purchased and sold Negroes for the Southern trade. Some considered black slave owners hard taskmasters and claimed free black owners were as a usual thing, much more severe on their slaves than white owners. So again, just to recap, John H. Russell in the Free Negroes in Virginia from 1619 to 1865. And I want you to keep in mind that 1619 visitation of Kent that lists all of the surnames coming from Kent. And I said they were the black Europeans. The most remarkable property rights possessed by the free Negroes was the right to acquire, own, and alienate slaves. Indeed, for more than 20 years from the time when the free Negroes first appeared in the courts, there was no legal restriction upon their right to own indentured white servants. So then we just go down here and it says... Um, some considered black slave owners hard taskmasters and claimed free black owners were, as a usual thing, much more severe on their slaves than the white owners. Let's continue. There were approximately 319 thousand free black slaves in the United States in 1830. Approximately 13.7% of the total black po population was free. A significant number of these free blacks were the owners of slaves. The census of 1830 lists uh, 3,700 free Negroes who owned a total of 12,000, almost 13,000 slaves. Carter G. Woodson in Free Negro owners of slaves in the United States in 1830 in the Journal of Negro History states, the census records show that the majority of the Negro owners of slaves were such from the point of philanthropy. In many instances, the husband purchased the wife or vice versa. The slaves belonged to such families were few compared with the large numbers found among the whites on the well-developed plantation. Slaves of Negroes were in some cases the children of a free father who had purchased his wife. If he did not thereafter emancipate the mother, as so many such husbands failed to do so, his own children was born his slaves and were thus reported to the enumerator's child. Okay. All right. So there you have it. 
So some of the fathers that were free, black, and I have to, you know, I have to because they say Negro, so I have to equate that to black. If he didn't purchase the mom out of uh, slavery, and maybe he couldn't afford to, I don't know, maybe he couldn't afford to, then that means that uh, the babies stayed under that category, okay? So now remember, when we think of slavery, we have to think of it in terms of a contract, a labor contract. I'm going to say that again. When we think of slavery, we have to think of it as a labor contract. Now, what type of labor contract were they under? Let's continue. Some of these husbands were not anxious. Ooh, child. Child. They telling on some people now. Some of these husbands were not anxious to liberate their wives immediately. They considered it advisable to put them on probation for a few years. And if they did not find them satisfactory, they would sell their wives as other slaveholders disposed of Negroes. Child. I'm a pause of net. So some of the husbands, by this point, Ninja, you just give me a divorce. That's what you can do. Just go on and give me a divorce, blood. Because you done got yourself out of the uh, little contract slavery contract so you ain't got to put me on probation purred just gone and divorce me but instead you leverage me you leverage me and you sell my slave contract to somebody else you dirty let me keep going for example a negro shoemaker in charleston south carolina purchases wife of seven hundred dollars but on finding her hard to please, he sold her a few months thereafter for $750, gaining $50 for the transaction. Baby, let me tell you something. Child, you talking about some dirty dealings? See, that's why I tell y'all you better watch who you marrying up with and having chillings with. Because if that ain't treasonous, I don't know what is. And I don't give a doggone if we ain't getting along. Since you know it was a court system, go on to the court system and divorce me. Write up some paperwork and divorce me. But no, instead, you choose to sell my slave contract and make a profit. That's treasonous behavior. This has been going on for a long time. Treasonous behavior. But let me continue. The editor personally knew a man in Cumberland County, Virginia, whose mother was purchased by his father who had first bought himself. Becoming enamored of a man's slave, she gave him her husband's manumission papers 
that they might escape together to free soil. Upon detecting this plot, the officer of the law received the impression that her husband had turned over the papers to the slave and arrested the freedman for the supposed offense. He had such difficulty in extracting himself from this complication that his attorney's fee amounted to $500. To pay him, he disposed of his faithless wife for that amount. Okay. Child, y'all was... Ooh. Mm -mm -mm. it is at least questionable whether the above examples constitute proof of benevolence or philanthropy child he just sat up here and you telling all the dirty secrets so you basically saying hold up blood don't think that this whole Buying family members was benevolent because you had some foolishness going on in between that. And so he's giving you the foolishness. Now, to be fair, not saying that this foolishness happened all across the board. We don't know that. But, child, he just he just giving you the tea. He giving you the tea on what went on. So stabbing each other in the back. Now, this married couples now, this within families. Let's continue. In 1913, John H. Russell wrote, in the exercise of their legal right to own slaves, black masters did not always confine themselves to the purchase of their kindred for the benefit purposes. Dang. Some Negroes purchased and held slaves with the same consideration of profit in view as governed the actions of white owners. So in other words, it was about that profit for them. They weren't necessarily purchasing their family members indentured servant contracts or slave contracts as they were doing business slash trading slave slash indentured servant contracts. Okay, because remember that's how they got free. That's let's remember that. That's how they got free because they were indentured servants. Let's continue. Oh shoot, what they was saying back there. <laughs> um. Okay, shoot, white owners. Okay, this we just went over that. Okay, some Negroes purchased and held slaves with the same consideration of profit and view as governed the actions of white owners of white owners of slaves. Okay. Nevertheless, most historians evidently have acquiesced with the philanthropy thesis advanced by Woodson, John Hope Franklin in From Slavery to Freedom, a history of Negro Americans, stated that. The extent of slaveholding among free Negroes has been a matter of only a recent concern to the student of history. However, the majority of Negro owners of slaves had some personal interest in their property. 
He does concede that there were instances, however, in which free Negroes had a real economic interest in the institution of slavery and held slaves in order to improve their economic status. Okay, so he's just pretty much saying what I said. To be fair, you know, folks that were sitting up there willing and dealing in the, the slave trade slash indentured contract trade. It was all about profit to them. And then others, um, the majority, it really was about once they were able to purchase, purchase out or buy out their contract out of slavery slash indentured servitude, they went and got their family members. All right. Okay. So Ulrich B. Phillips in American Negro Slavery, published in 1918, stated, it is clear that aside from the practices of holding slave relatives as a mean of giving them virtual freedom, an appreciable number of colored proprietors owned slaves purely as a productive investment. Okay, did he say a lot? <laughs> well, he said... An appreciable number, all right? So I guess it was a large amount, y'all. Yeah. It was doubtless a group of these who sent a joint communication to a New Orleans newspaper, New Orleans <laughs> newspaper, when successions and war were impending. Yeah. The free colored population, native of Louisiana, owned slaves, and they are dearly attached to their native land. And they are ready to shed their blood for her defense. They have no sympathy for the abolitionism. No love for the North, but they have plenty for Louisiana. They will fight for her in 1861 as they fought in 1814 to 1815. Mm-hmm. In 1929, Ulrich B. Phillips in Life and Labor in the Old South stated that a few free blacks became slaveholders of plantation scale. In a footnote on the same page, he stipulated, in the main, however, the, slaved, the slaves owned by free Negroes were their own kindred, bought and held merely because the laws forbade Manumism without exile. Uh, Philip cited Woodson as documentation for his statement. Okay, so that's just another source saying that uh, those free black slaveholders, it was their family members, okay? So Kenneth M. Stamp in the Peculiar Institution, Slavery in the Antebellum South stated, the great majority of these freed color slave owners had merely purchased husband, wives, or children and were unable to emancipate them under existing state laws, okay? Stamp cites Woodson for documentation. All right, so let's go to the next and see how much. Because I haven't gone through all of this, so I'm going through this far with you all for the first time as well. All right, so hold off a second for me, fam. All right, family, so I had to stop, make sure I'm recording. Before I forget, 
to pull the bonus material showing you the history of white people in Africa, okay? Because I don't want to brush past that first part of them talking about uh, freed blacks being accustomed to being slaves and having slaves and all of that jazz up out of Africa and me making a statement to you all who was in Africa when and what was going on. So I'm going to put that in the bonus material. So I had to go dig. And as usual, a lot of the information um, has been hidden. I cannot tell you how many times I have looked for these ancient maps, put them in my collection. And it could be my fault uh, when you switch equipment that it's just so happened those particular maps didn't get onto my new computer, uh, but I knew where to go. So I'm going to put that in the bonus material. All right. So with that said, let's get back into this free black owners of slaves. <coughs> Clement Eaton in a history of the old South stated the year 1830 marks the zenith of ownership of slaves by free Negroes. Most of such slaves being in uh, being purchased in order to protect relatives, but others for exploration as agricultural labor. Eden provided no citations for his statement. He does mention that an interesting case of ownership of slaves by free Negroes was the purchase of an eloquent slave preacher by the Pleasant Green Baptist Negro Church of Lexington, Kentucky. When the slave preacher was put up for auction in the settlement of an estate, a friendly white Baptist congregation purchased him for their black brethren, who in turn paid for him on the installment plan by taking the Sunday collection to the white deacons. William B. Hesseltine and David L. Smiley in the South in American history stated, a few Negroes were slaveholders. Some claim ownership only of members of their family in order to keep them out of the insecure status of free persons of color, but others possessed slaves whom they worked, as did their white neighbors. Helsentine and Smiley provide no citation for their statements. Okay, so they're just giving you more example of free Negroes owning slaves, purchasing slaves out of those slave slash indentured serving contracts and how some of them uh, were purchasing their relatives out of those uh, slavery slash indentured serving contracts. Francis Butler Simpkins in A History of the South makes no mention of free black ownership of slaves. The massive 10, 10 volume series, A History of the South, being published by the Louisiana State University Press, surprisingly does not mention free black ownership of slaves. Well, it ain't surprising to me if you are rewriting history saying that slavery was all about slaves coming, black slaves, black African slaves coming from Africa at the hand of white enslavers. So I don't know how that's surprisingly. No, it's not surprisingly. That's what they do when they want to rewrite history, okay? 
And then I am going to go into, again, that whole uh, African slave trade. That's going to be some bonus material. So be patient with me. James G. Randall and David Donald in the Civil War and Reconstruction wrote that in some cases, free blacks held slaves of their own. They cited John Hope Franklin for documentation. In a footnote, they included the quotation, frequently the husband purchased his wife or vice versa, and they were other relatives or friends who had been rescued by some influent free Negro. Okay? Influent free Negro. Mm-hmm. Affluent free Negro. Hmm. Let me just jump real quick. See if I have this source close to me. Uh, bear with me here. This is what happens, family. Oh, child. The hijack that went on here. It's just it's just too much. It's just too much. Uh, let's see if I have it here. I know I do. Bear with me in one of my sources. Okay, those of you that rock with me, this is not going to be... Oh, this is the new stuff. <laughs> that's my new book. My bad. That's my that's my new joint that we gonna go over uh, in 2022. We're going to go over that shortly. Uh, okay, I don't have it in front of me because what I wanted to go over was real quick. My book is. This must be in the living room. It's a shame I got to keep transferring my sources from one room to the next as I do research. And have to, uh, I see how that research complements each other as it should complement each other. Uh, so I'll just give it to you. But basically, um, when they talk about affluent free Negroes, it talks about, you know what? I'm going to have to pause again and go get it because that's such explosive information. Those of you that rock with me, you done heard this before. But those that are new to the channel, I want you to get this information so you'll know. So hold on a second again, fam. All right. Sorry about that. So that's what happens when you misplace. When you don't put stuff back where you normally have it and you have to go find it. Okay. So I just want to give the account of them talking about um, folks purchasing this part here, frequently the husbands purchased his wife or vice versa, or they were other relatives or friends who had been rescued by some, some affluent free Negro. So now those of you that rock with me, you probably already know where I'm going before I went and got to my little material. Um, so let's get, and just so you know, I have recommended this book. I've recommended two of his books. This is The Negro Question, Part 6. This is The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. So I'm going to a reference of this influence. Okay. This 
affluential Negro. All right, so I have it bookmarked. Bear with me here. Okay, and also in this book, on page 130, he goes through the Ship York surnames. All right, so the page I want to get to, so again, this is the Negro Question, Part 6, The 13 Black Colonies by Lee Cummings. This is on page 147. Okay, ancient map of Scotland. All right. I went back on the timeline and pulled up the list of the men, women, and children that Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart. So Harriet Tubman was a Ross and a Stewart. You remember that name, surname Stewart? King James Stewart. So again, I went back on the timeline and pulled up the list of men, women, and children that Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart rescued from the South. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw the last name Ross and Stewart on the list of rescued people. Then I took a look at Harriet Tubman's parents' name names and I saw the names of Ross and Stewart. Stewart. I immediately ran to the map and saw Ross and Stewart in the highlands of Scotland. So I am reading this to you. Talk on it. As he talks about the um, freed blacks that were purchasing the slaves. And they were doing it based on, now I'm going to have to go back. Uh, in some cases, the affluent other blacks, now I have to find my, um, where I left off. I'm doing this for a purpose. Here it is. Okay. So when he talked about who had been rescued by some affluent free Negro. Now, how much more affluent can you get if Harriet Tubman, but they left out that part that Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart. So she is a bloodline relative of Stewart's linked to King James Stewart. How much affluent could you be? And then Brother Lee Cummings said that he went back to the map and saw that the Ross and Stewart's in highlands of Scotland. Okay, I reread the writings of the European witnesses. The Stewart's on the ship's manifest are black. The images of the Stuart Kings are black. And the Stuarts that Harriet Tugman rescued from the South were black. So I'm just going to run through these names on this ship manifest. Uh, he pulled out the parts of the Stuart. 
And he also showed, now remember, this is on page 147 for those that have the book, The Negro Question, Part 6, The 13 Black Colonies. This is on page 147. He pulled an excerpt from the ship manifest, and he also put up a map of the highlands of Scotland, and he shows you those land territories in the highlands with the surnames of Ross and Stewart. Okay, but he shows you John Stewart, William Henry Stewart, Catherine Stewart, Harriet Ann Stewart, William Henry Ross, Margaret Stewart, Anne Marie Stewart, Amelia, Millie, Hollis Stewart, James Stewart, Benjamin Ross, Moses Ross, George Ross, Robert Ben Ross, Henry Stewart, Catherine Kane Stewart, John Isaac Ross Stewart. And so he lists the parents of Harriet Tubman are Benjamin Ross Stewart, Harriet Ross Rita Stewart. Okay? So again, I just wanted to give you a direct example of Negroes uh, or they were re relatives or friends who had been rescued by some affluent free Negro. So and on the uh, other page, 148, it says the math says that the black stewards that Harriet Tubman Stewart rescued from the South were in fact the seed of King James Stewart. What was Harriet Tubman Ross Stewart really doing in the South? This woman was rescuing the royal seed of the kings called Stewart, the seeds of the black Highlanders, plain and simple. Ross was one of the titles that the kings of Stuart held in Scotland. All right? Okay, so let's continue. There were some instances, however, in which free Negroes had a real economic status. Franklin did not document the quoted statement. The bibliography notes for the chapter in which it appeared, however, contains Woodson's work, plus other research which also cites Woodson. Okay. All right. So let's go to the next page. <clears throat> Luther Porter Jackson in his free Negro labor and property holding in Virginia indicated that free black slave owners was temporary and ben uh, benevolent with owners serving as, serving as intermediaries for eventual Manumissions. Nevertheless, Jackson stipulated some free Negroes held slaves as permanent property. Okay. Indeed, in 1830, the free blacks of Virginia held more wealth in slaves than in real estate. Yeah, I'll 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 go ahead on and re-go over that. In 1830, the free blacks of Virginia held more wealth in slaves than in real estate. So now I want you all to remember 
that 1619 visitation of Kent that lists the surnames of those Europeans, and I said black Europeans, coming over to the Americas. Okay? So this part right here, here with them talking about that free blacks of Virginia had more held more wealth in slaves than in real estate, that doesn't surprise me at all. Approximately 21% of the free black heads of families of Petersburg were slave owners. The figure in Richmond was 26%, and the percentage was similar in, in other Virginia cities. Moreover, Jackson stated that slave hiring by free blacks was a common practice. Huh? Slave hiring? Free black owners were also known to hire out their slaves. Moreover, former slaves, after gaining freedom, sometimes became slave owners themselves. Okay? So again, I want you all to always remember when you hear about slavery, the term slavery is much more complex than history is telling you. You always have to factor in indentured servitude, which were really labor contracts. And those labor contracts definitely are uh, comprised of people coming over from Europe to work. All right? Contracts were no more than seven years. Or people that were selected to given the opportunity to serve out their prison sentence under an indentured servant contract. And then I'm sure you also had in there slaves that were captured via prisoners of war between the fighting of Indians and Europeans. Okay? So you also got to factor that in. And then you also can factor in the African slaves, which just according to the records, I'm only going according to the records, were the least out of all the groups I just named. Okay? The records, the official records, they narrowed it down to 300 and something thousand. So it went from millions all the way down to 300 and something thousands of them West African slaves. So that tells you that the majority of the slaves were labor contracts and prisoners of war. The war between the Indians and the Europeans. All right. So a careful examination of census figures in 1830 the same data Woodson used to formulate his philanthropy thesis reveals evidence which at least casts suspicions upon the validity of that premise. The census year of 1830 was selected for the following reasons advanced by Woodson. There were several reasons selecting the census of 1830 in the first place. The earlier reports do not give as much information as the census of 1830. 
At that time, moreover, the free Negroes had about reached their highest mark as a distinct class. The reactions which set in earlier in the century restricted their freedom and in many cases expelled them from the South. This census then evidently reports the names of a larger number of represent representatives, free Negroes, than any other census prior to their debasement to a lower status or their migration from the South. This trek reached its highest point between 1830 and 1835. Most of the free Negroes in the North in 1830, therefore, had been there for some years. The following table lists the number of blacks who owned slaves, their place of resident, residence by state, and the number of slaves owned. Okay, so I'm assuming, let's see if they got it from that 1830 uh, census. Uh, they don't say, I'm assuming they did, okay? So I'm not going to read through. Oh, it's not too many to read through. Um, So you can see, I'm not going to read through this. I got to save my voice because I got other stuff to go through. So let's just go to the highest, to the lowest. Looks like the lowest on the list was the Arkansas um, Territory, Connecticut, Maine, uh, North Carolina, Missouri, New Hampshire. Okay, a couple of lowest. Uh, Delaware. Oh, Illinois, the lowest also. Let's get to the highest. The highest on the list. Louisiana, child. Number of slave owners, free black slave owners, 965. Number of slaves owned. By free blacks was 4,206. Um, who's next on? Who's next? Okay, the next one is Maryland, 653 black slave owners. Number of slaves owned by free blacks, uh, 1,100, almost 1,200. Next on the list, Virginia, chow, which this shouldn't be a surprise to us. Actually, Virginia is second. Virginia second to Louisiana. Okay, this shouldn't be a surprise to us with Virginia being second because it was one of the original 13 black colonies. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that Louisiana is first because remember the French was there first. All right. So that's not surprising to me either. So a mixture of prisoners of war by the French uh, battling it out with the Indians. Okay. And then, um, when the Brits got over there, battling it out and then Louisiana and Britain finally settling that dispute. So Britain bringing over a bunch of indentured servants to work them lands as well. So a combination of between indentured servants and, um, freed blacks, I'm sorry, not freed black, a combination of indentured servants and um, prisoners of war, okay? But according to the records, 965 freed blacks owned about, out of Louisiana, owned about 4,200, quote, quote, slaves. 
and it just said um, black slaves, only black slaves. So that ain't accounting, accounting for the white indentured servants at all. Okay. Uh, Virginia was the next highest, 948, and it was about 2,200. Okay. So I'm not going to go through that whole list, but I'll just, you can see the states, Alabama, Arkansas, Connecticut, Delaware, D.C., Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. Okay. Nearly all of the free black owners of slaves lived in the South and border states. At this time, 92% of total black population resided in that region. Only 85% of 159 slaves live outside their that reason, region, an average of two slaves per owner. Consequently, the South and border states were home to 3,600 black owners and 12,000 slaves, an average of three Point four one slave per owner, slightly more than 2% of the free blacks in the South and border states own slaves. Woodson's, hold on a second, get to the next page. Woodson's thesis that free blacks own slaves for benevolent and philanthropical reasons appears to be based principally on the contention that it was always difficult and often impossible to emancipate them, and that most free Blacks owned just a few slaves, and they were frequently relatives. Okay, so I guess what they're saying in the case where you saw like one or two people on that list or under 10 was probably people owning uh, their relatives or buying out their indentured servant contracts. Okay. It is true that approximately 42% of black slave owners in the South and border states possessed only one slave. It's also true, however, that more white slaveholders of that region possessed one slave than any other number. Only a small portion of these owned substantial numbers. Okay, so see how this is just so... It's just so convoluted because they're saying here black folks could own slaves. They can own slaves out the gate with the forming of these colonies. They can own slaves, which makes sense because we do know that the 13 colonies were formed by a black king, black King James Stewart. And not only could blacks own slaves, they can also own white slaves, although they call it indentured servants, okay? So see how the hijack is? So for whites, it's indentured servitude, but for blacks, it's slavery. Nah, bruh, it was the same thing, okay? So now they're also saying that whites held slaves, okay? All right. So again, this story of what they're telling you, slavery is not inaccurate, 
We're going to go over slavery in Africa. That's going to be the bonus material. Moreover, Woodson uh, st stipulated that the majority of black owners lived in urban areas. Urban slaveholders of all races own fewer slaves per capita than rural owners, which that makes sense. Okay, because urban, I'm thinking about city. Okay, so rural would mean farming and all of that jazz. So that makes sense. Furthermore, the purchase of slaves always represented a sizable capital outlay and free blacks were seldom affluent. Okay, so I've already given you an account of what an affluent free black would be. An affluent free black would have ties to the black European crown. Okay, so let me just reread what he said because I want you all to understand the dynamics of blacks in these slavery times. Free blacks were seldom affluent. The affluentness came from being tied to the bloodline, either tied to the bloodline of the black kings of Europe, King uh, James Stewart Nim and King Charles Nim, either being direct, directly tied to them via bloodline, or you were tied to them from business and bloodline, meaning you were in their court. Meaning you were sent over to the Americas to manage those estates on the plantation. And you were granted land and you were running the, their businesses, the crown, the black crown's businesses. That gave you your affluence. But as you noted, most blacks were seldom affluent. So that means when you are finding black European in your family records, as I found in mine, my family from black European weren't of, of affluent. I certainly didn't find it in the records. No, my family, that family member I found came over from Europe. And I am assuming worked on an indentured servant contract and married into an Indian tribe, hence a black indigenous Indian tribe and not so much married into a tribe. He married a uh, black Indian woman. Okay. So again, let me run that back for you all again. Just because your people came over here from Europe and they were black, that does not mean they were an affluent. They came over on them indentured serving contracts. Just like Caucasian white people. Just because they came over here from Europe does not mean their family were slaveholders and owners. 
more than likely their family came over on indentured servant contracts. Okay? And same that held true for the black people that had influence held, holds true for the white people during that time that hold held affluent titles. They were tied to the black nobility crown. Either they were the relatives, i.e. those mulattoes, or they were in their court. So they were assigned lands, given land patents, all of that jazz, for the purpose of running the estates slash business of that black kingdom. Okay? So this is why the story of slavery is a lot more complex than they are telling you. This is why when the conversations of reparations comes into play, as they are telling it today, reparations for all black people in America because white folks held them in slavery, that's why it's never going to pass. Because that's not how the story goes. And they have the records to prove that. That's just not the case. But let's continue. Blacks who own no other property seem to have held no slaves. Yep. All you have to do is look, look in the records. The records tell the story. Blacks who owned no other property seem to have held no slaves. However, blacks who did own other property, property frequently did own slaves. John Hope Franklin, in an article in the North Carolina Historical Review, reprinted in Free Blacks in America, 1800s through 1860s, state, the enterprising free Negro owners of slaves can usually be identified because of their extensive holding of real and personal property and because of their inactivity in the manumission movement. Okay, so now I'm just going to real quick, so I don't like to, and you, mission, skip over words. Okay, so manumission is liberation from slavery, bondage, or restraint, a settled, setting free emancipation. Uh, the act of manumitting or liberating a slave from bondage. Okay, so I, I hate to keep skipping over words. I figure that's what that meant, but I don't like to keep skipping over words. That's just the way I was taught. I just couldn't read past with my parents. And it's just something about, especially my mom, when she knew, she, when she knew I didn't know what that word meant, what do that mean? And if you couldn't answer it, go get that book. Go get that dictionary. You're not going to just sit over here <laughs> and gloss over that word. So now we know, because I didn't want to, I thought that's what that meant, but to be fair, I had to look it up. So let's just run that back. 
The enterprising free Negro owners of slaves can be usually identified because of their extensive holdings of real and personal property and because of their inactivity in the manumission movement. So yeah, so why would they want quote, quote, slavery ended when it was business for them, okay? When they had their indentured servant contracts all set up, they had people working their land, whatever the case may be, whatever they was under contract specifically for, with these low-ass, minimum-wage-ass, dead-in-ass contracts, that would never get that indentured servant to any type of life. Why would they, why would they want slavery to end? So ADOS, did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch them Negro slave owners that didn't want slavery to end and why they didn't want it to end? But let's continue. It appears logical, therefore, that free blacks would not individually possess large number of slaves regardless of their motivation. Okay, well, logically, they didn't own large number of slaves because they couldn't afford it. Come on now. Let's be real. They could not afford it. Okay? Or, in some cases, they were indentured servants, bought out their contract, and was able to buy some of their relatives back, and they just didn't want anything to do with owning indentured servant contracts because they had to set wages so low in order to make it into a business, and just coming out of them conditions themselves didn't want to put other people into it. Versus if you were of affluent and you've never had that experience and you came from money and that's the way it's supposed to be and always is going to be because you hold that position through bloodline or you hold that position because you are in the king's court and that's the way to make money then it's no big deal for them to hold a bunch of indentured servant contracts. Number one, they can afford it. And number two, that's the way that they do business. Okay? So Eldridge B. Phillips stated that the laws forbade manumission without exile. Exile may not be the proper term for leaving the state as some states indeed did require. <clears throat> now that's interesting. But is leaving the state too dear as a price for freedom? So if you were in slavery the way they say you were in slavery, getting beat up, whooped, uh, sexually taken advantage of, If you were free, if the conditions of being free was leaving the state, 
why would that be such a dilemma? Wouldn't you be giving the middle finger to that state and getting the heck on? But okay, then, let's continue reading. Kenneth M. Stamp stated that free black owners were unable to emancipate them, the slaves, under existing laws. This appears to be a broad generalization that's sometimes true in some states, but was never true in all states. Moreover, these restriction, restrictive emancipation laws provided a convenient rationale or excuse for not freeing slaves. Mm. Yeah, because that didn't make sense to me either. Hasseltine and Smiley state some claim ownership in order to keep them slaves out of the insecure status of free persons of color. Would those uh, 12,000 slaves have preferred the security? Let me go back. The security of their slavery more than the insecurity of freedom? Exactly. That's just what I just said. None of the advanced reason for not freeing slaves applied to those 85 owners of 159 slaves who lived in the North. Also, manumission would have been relatively easy for the 910 owners of the 2,095 slaves in Washington, D.C. and in the border states. Okay, so basically it's saying that um, it ain't what they, um, they, their justification for freeing their black slaves so them black free slave owners justification for not freeing their black slaves it was it wasn't adding up it just wasn't lot it just didn't make logical sense it appears illogically to assume that free blacks would not desire to own slaves african blacks have been practicing slavery for centuries child guess they going to make me bring it up now instead of bonus material let's see i may just put the bonus material here let's see what they saying the vast majority of American blacks have consistently attempted to emulate white middle-class society. All right, so that's going to make me stop and put it in here. Dab nab it. All right, so let me go to the first. So now they just going to make me put the bonus material in here. So this is one of the maps that I had. Um, I can't find the original one that I wanted to find showing you where um, you had the Africans fighting other Africans that were white and they were kings. But this particular map shows you where you have this clearly a white person sitting in Africa. Okay, and you can see that's what Ethiopia, that's um, well, that's Libya, and I don't know if this is this is another um, derivative of Libya. Okay, so this is Africa. All right, so you got a white person just sitting there. Okay, if I'm able to find that map. Showing you where um, Africa as a kingdom had um, white African kings. I'm going to put that in here as well. But we let's get to this concept about blacks emulating whites. Okay, because we, we need to go to 
um, uh, white, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, African, the African slave trade. So this is off of a site called History Debunk. Shout out to History Debunk. The white slave trade of Africa. He put this out in 2018, and he got quite a quite a bit views on this. All right, so hold on a second. Let me get past this little part because he got some music in here, and I don't feel like uh, being copy struck down by YouTube. Okay, so let's get to this part. All right, so let me blow this up for you, and let's get cracking decided to call them internees instead of political prisoners, putting people in mind of South Africa. Prisoners behind barbed wire without charge for years on end. This could have been embarrassing, putting people in mind of South Africa and the Soviet Union, had we not decided to call them internees instead of political prisoners. This solved the problem so well that even to this day, many people don't know anything at all about the political prisoners of the 1970s held in Britain. The same thing with Barbary pirates. The word pirate is faintly comical, bringing to mind Long John Silver, Captain Hook, even Captain Pugwash. Pirates raised the skull and crossbones flag and hunted for treasure, didn't they? The Barbary pirates were actually after people white Christians specifically, who could be sold as slaves in Muslim countries. Here are some white slaves in Africa during the 17th century. There was a very old tradition of slavery in Africa, long before the coming of Europeans. Black empires enslaved neighbouring nations. Various tribes made slaves of outsiders. The Arabs took black people for slaves, and sometimes the other way round. Slavery was an old African tradition, and it is not to be wondered at that it flourished on what became known as the Barbary Coast. Of course, everybody knows about Europeans going to Africa and taking the people off into slavery. It's taught in schools. White slavery is not so well known. The Barbary Coast was named after the Berbers, who originally lived there, and included countries like Algeria, Tunisia, and modern-day Morocco. From ports there, Muslims set off to Europe to see, seize as many white Christians as they could for the slave markets of North Africa. How extensive was this trade? Was it a trifling affair of a few hundred people here and there? Hardly. The island of Gozo, part of modern Malta, was attacked in July 1551 and the entire population of 5,000 people taken off into slavery. This was a serious problem for Europe, especially in the Mediterranean countries, but also for Britain and even Iceland. Current estimates suggest that the number of Europeans captured and taken to Africa numbered in the millions. The Barbary pirates attacked shipping as well as land and were in the habit of taking the crews of ships and then just leaving the ships drifting on the ocean. In Britain, for instance, the fishing industry was under serious threat in the 17th century because men dared not put to sea in the North Sea or the English Channel for fear of being captured by slavers. On land, some coastal districts of Spain became practically deserted because people feared to live there. From Venice in the north to Malaga in the south, whole swathes of the European coast became deserted because those living there were always at the risk of slavers descending on their villages and taking them off to Africa. The sack of Baltimore in Ireland gives one good example of what was going on at that time. 
the entire population was removed. Cornwall was in particular danger being... So I just wanted to stop when he talked about Ireland, about the entire population being removed. Um, that goes into the Black Irish and how the Black Irish were removed and brought over to the Americas. And hence, uh, that's why Jamaica Man or Jamaica has a lot of Black Irish descents. Okay? So this is important for you all to understand this information when they talk about the dynamics of slavery because it is not what they are telling you. And also note when he's talking about uh, white slavery and the Berbers, we should know there should be no question who the Berbers were. You should know that they are black slash melanated skin tone, okay? We should know when he talks about Europe that who was holding the seats of power during those times were black European kings, okay? But let's continue. At the end of England, as you might say, for example, at Mounts Bay in Cornwall, 60 men, women and children were taken away. In 1626, St. Cavan was repeatedly attacked and boats out of Lou, Penzance, Mausel and so on were all at risk of being seized by pirates. It was thought at the time that around 60 Barbary men of war ships were prowling the coast of Britain in the 17th century. Sir John Elliot Vice Admiral of Devon declared that the seas around England seem to be theirs. We think of Pirate Island as being in the Caribbean, but for a while the Isle of Lundy in the Bristol Channel was held by the Barbary pirates and used as their base. In 1645, another raid by Barbary pirates on the Cornish coast saw 240 men, women and children kidnapped. To keep the slave population stable, around one quarter had to be replaced each year, which for the period from 1580 to 1680 meant around 8,500 new slaves each year, a total of 850,000 in the course of the century. According to one estimate, 7,000 English people were abducted between 1622 to 1644, many of them ships, crews and passengers. But the Corsairs also landed on unguarded beaches, often at night, to snatch the unwary. This was a huge business, the Muslim world needed galley slaves, they needed labourers, they needed people to guard harems, all sorts of people, and they preferred to use Christians rather than Muslims for this. The rulers of the countries of North Africa were entitled to an eighth of all the slaves captured, and these were used for public works. Cervantes, author of Don Quixote, was a slave in Africa for several years before being ransomed. This was another motive for the slave trade. If you could seize well-to-do people, they could be ransomed by their families, sold in effect for money. The rise of the British Navy was in part due to the efforts to combat the Barbary pirates' depredations on the shores of Britain. Samuel Pepys mentions this in his diary. He says, I went to the Fleece Tavern to drink, and there we spent till four o'clock telling stories of Algiers and the manner of the life of slaves there. 
Captain Mootum and Mr. Dawes, who have both been slaves there, did make me fully acquainted with their condition, how they eat nothing but bread and water, how they are beat upon the soles of their feet and bellies at the liberty of their padron, how they are all night called into their master's quarters, and there they lie. The conditions of the white slaves in Africa were sometimes worse than those of the black slaves in the Caribbean and America. Um, so did you hear that? The conditions of the slaves in Africa? But let's continue. And great work by this gentleman. Much respect. Africa. Some were routinely castrated to create eunuchs to guard harems. Others were kept as galley slaves, not setting foot ashore for years on end. The ill treatment of these slaves in Africa was a matter of great concern in Europe. How did it come to an end? Well, it's rather unfortunate. The British began to pay tribute to some of the North African countries in order to prevent the Barbary pirates from visiting their country and seizing their ships. It was guyed up under various terms, but effectively the British were paying not to be molested. This all came to an end for American ships with the American Revolution. They no longer enjoyed the protection that the British had. And so several American merchant ships were seized by pirates in the Mediterranean. This led directly to the founding of the American Navy. It was the Americans who finally put a stop to the efforts of the pirates. It was not until 1830, when France occupied the whole of Algeria, though, that the pirate trade finally came to an end. I think it's fair to say that not one person in a thousand is aware of the fact that African slavers were raiding England for years, at least half a century before the English became involved in raiding Africa for their own slaves. This has been described as cultural amnesia. Images such as this one, Black African slaves in the Caribbean are routinely seen in school and during Black History Month. Images such as this, though, showing white slaves in Africa, are all but unknown. Okay, so I just want to stop. Much respect to this man. Much respect. So now, we used to seeing this, right? But, like he said, folks got amnesia when it comes to this, these white slaves. Let's continue. Are all but unknown. Slavery was endorsed by the Bible and Quran, practiced all over the world from ancient times in every continent. It has literally now become a matter though of black and white, for all forms of slavery have been forgotten, save that which involves white people enslaving black people. We have over the last few decades in this country been indoctrinated to see slavery as a wicked activity practiced by European colonialists, chiefly against the inhabitants of Africa. This false impression is taught in schools and we are given annual top-ups every October during Black History Month. The truth is that at least half a century before England became involved in the capture of slaves in Africa, Slave traders from Africa were carrying off people from England and taking them away to be slaves. History is always far more complex than the simple linear narrative that we learn at school. Okay, so... I don't feel like getting no copyright on that. <laughs> so I don't know what type of music he used. Okay, so again, this is from the channel History Debunked. 
the white slave trade of Africa. So shout out to you. He was right on point. So like I said, I couldn't find my copy of the uh, ancient African map that showed white people. So I knew my dude, Medicine Man, shout out to Medicine Man. I knew he had did a drop on it. Uh, so if y'all not subscribed to Medicine Man, y'all need to be subscribed to Medicine Man. Uh, he is a heck of a researcher. Much respect to him. He'll drop videos. Um, he takes time when he drops videos. He drops off the scene and then he comes back with a series of videos because he's doing his research. So this one is called The Monsters of Africa and Europe. All right. So let's get into it. Okay. So shout out to Medicine Man. Okay. So here's the maps that I was trying to find up in my collection. I'm going to have to refine. I'm telling you, y'all, I didn't have to refine these maps four times. They just keep disappearing out of my work. But these are the maps that I were telling you about. So let's hit it. 7 through 459 A.D. Uh, this map, well, I've been going through several other old maps, <laughs> and you notice something strange about this map. Do you see here is Italy? Okay. This is the way I found several other maps. Oh, I'd say from uh, anywhere from 400 years old till 800 years old. And I want to uh, share a little bit of the insight I have on this subject that I already received from a friend in South Africa. Okay, as you can see this is Africa. Okay, we know that it was very much more a white continent and I will show you why. But all of this up here, you have all these kingdoms and so forth. Seems a bit odd some people looking at <laughs> these castles and uh, fortresses and uh, things in Africa. What is this doing 500 years ago? More than 500 years ago, <laughs> almost 600 years ago, we're seeing all these castles throughout Africa, okay? All throughout Africa many old castles. I mean, this just blew my mind. Alright, th this is Africa, and this is the map right side up. Now, let's go through a few more. Alright, and uh, this is a map from Angelina Dulcert. This is from the 1300s. Are you already noticing that a lot of the words are upside down now? <laughs> I can flip it over for you so you can kind of get a better idea and let me go out. You can see here's Italy. You see, there's Spain, there's Africa. All right, there's Africa down here. I'll show you some interesting things again about Africa. It's, it's all the way over here. All right, going down, going down going down. Now you have some stuff that looks right side up. Okay, we're down in Africa here. This is uh, this is part of the... I really don't yet understand why, but 
several of the maps. Okay, here's the border of Africa here. Okay, here's the Mediterranean. But for some reason, and I'll have to research it, why several maps have this big black thing. I don't know if that represents the Muslims or what it is. Okay, but here's the Red Sea. Here's uh, Saudi Arabia. Okay, let's go in there. That looks like a, a queen in Saudi Arabia. A white queen. Alright, you have uh, Palestine. Okay. Going back down. Now, important things here. Way down here in the south of Africa, you have this guy. Alright. Does he look like a... Okay, I just want to go back. <laughs> so y'all can Going back down. Now, important things here. Way down here in the south of Africa, you have this guy. Okay. Now, this is way down in the south of Africa. And so, a medicine man gave you the reference. Mongoloid or Mongol, Turco-Mongoloid, Eurasian. Okay, let's continue. All right. Does he look like a African? Uh, and you have all these castles. What are all these great? Uh, looks like kingdoms, uh, European kingdoms, down here, all throughout Africa. All right. What is this all about? What's going on? <laughs> well, I couldn't leave out this one. We have a uh, pretty nice map here. Let me see if I can get it so everyone can see. Uh, I'm flipping over here. Uh, this is the Sali map from 1100 or 1000. 110 AD. Okay, this one is with a little bit uh, of a better overlay, so you, it's been redrawn so that you can get a, a good idea. Yes, again, from 1100 AD. Very important here. Red Sea. Here you have, uh, this would be, uh, here's Jerusalem. Okay, but notice how. Ethiopia is oriented, and then you have Africa. You see the rivers. So pause. So, in, in so much respect to Medicine Man, y'all, he don't play with his research. Ethiopia was originally a region of Asia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Caucasian, a that ca Caucasus Asian. Mm-hmm. 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 So look at all that's on this ancient map. You see Great Britain down there, Rome, Pisa, Mediterranean Sea, there's Africa, um, Ethiopia, which he was saying Ethiopia was originally a region of Asia. So they were all together. Okay, they were all in close proximity together is what this map is showing you. 
Okay, Red Sea, Mount Sinai, Jerusalem, Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia. Giving you the area, giving you um that the uh Sumerian text, giving you the breakdown of what went on in Mesopotamia and in the areas in Mesopotamia with them Anunnaki's and their bloodline. Okay. So you see the close proximity to Mesopotamia, Jerusalem, and all of that. Caspian Sea. Okay. But let's continue. Person there. Maybe our friends from South Africa can kind of explain these rivers and what all this is. Africa. I'm just showing you guys real quick so uh, you can see. But yeah, I believe that is still uh, the Red Sea, and you do have Africa there. Uh, yeah, just zoomed in a bit better here. And this is all Africa. Huh. What are all these castles doing in Africa? All these kingdoms. What's that big white king doing down there at the very bottom? All of these, uh, and what's going to get interesting is in the next one. You see these guys here? These monsters? Or these... Uh, non-human uh, creatures here all right so when i was uh doing the video on the gene editing and i talked about the crisper i think it's crisper yeah i think i was right the first time on that enunciation of that technology they're using that gene editing technology they're using and when i talked about that that gene editing slash crisper technology is not new because the Sumerian text was explaining the gene editing they were doing back up in the day and that you can go to the ancient African maps and you can see those creations, those different genetic creations on the map. This is what I was talking about, okay? And Medicine Man noted these monsters were non-human creatures here okay so this these creatures are the remnants of that gene editing that they talked about in the sumerian text all right but let's continue that they supposedly had there must have been some sort of war but um this is all definitely Africa. You have all these African animals, but then you have these these guys. What's this guy? See his face and part of his body here. All right. Quite interesting, huh? Now I'm going to get into the next slide that I think is really the most interesting one. It's called the Salter Map. Uh, it's from uh, around uh, 1200 A.D. I hope that's clear. This is the north. Alright, so then this would be the south over here. Anyway, some interesting points on this map. Look at these alien races here, all living under the ground.
Okay, so he's calling them alien races. I was still looking at them as um, that genetic engineering that was happening with uh, the Anunnaki in them. Now, could they be alien races? Okay, yeah, you know, I guess they can, but I'm only going by the Sumerian text with them talking about these multiple creations that they had. All right? Okay. Ground. All the different creatures, all the different monsters. All right? What are these little eyes? See the eye here? An eye there, an eye there, an eye there. Okay, oops, I thought he was done. My bad. Let me go head on. It's all over the place. Rivers that come out from them. Here, here. There were some very important things. See these dragons? Yeah, these, uh, these older maps. This is the, uh, if you want to look it up, there's the name. It's Storfer Mapundi. Uh, this one is also about a thousand years old. Very important things in here, creatures and things that we should really know about. Pretty good resolution copies available easily online. But here is, uh, I believe this is all part of Africa. And looks like white people were there. You have again lots of monsters and animals, okay? good they put that in a map. I mean, you want to know what's going on. But yeah, here we are. Africa. You have all these castles and so forth. Again. Just going through here. Zooming out. Alright. Look at all that. Look at all this. What is this? What are all these monsters doing in Africa? And so, me again. I'm just using logic. I'm just using logic. Taking what they said up out of the Sumerian text that they were doing gene editing or genetic engineering. And there were multiple creations. So to me, that's where these creatures are the remnants of all of that genetic experimenting and creating new species, all right? That's just me, okay? So this, you're getting a two for one in this, okay? It's showing you that whites were in Africa and it goes pretty far back that where whites were in Africa, and then it's also showing you that uh, genetic editing slash genetic engineering or what they're calling it today, gene editing slash CRISPR technology, that ain't new, honey. Okay? And I'm basing that off of the Sumerian text. And now you have these maps backing up what they were saying in the Sumerian text about the multiple creations. All right? So let's continue to see what this... Uh, man has to say, decoding these maps. 
Oh, okay. I guess that was it. So, <laughs> so uh, this is Medicine Man. The man just said that Africa was a white continent yes, less than a thousand years ago. And it was full of monstrous and things that go bump in the night. Okay. So um, the other map that I wanted him to show, I'll have to try to go find it myself, but showing um, how big North Africa and the uh, grand schemes of Africa really was. It was very little. It was equivalent to a state. Okay. And then that map also just showed other white kingdoms and the European looking castles over in Africa. Okay. So you saw that gentleman go through the maps showing you white people were over in Africa with their own kingdoms. Okay. So who were the millions of slaves coming up out of Africa? Okay. So even shout out to History Debunks when he talks about the white slave trade of Africa. But that's not what they're teaching you in history. It's been reversed. The millions of African slaves were black Africans coming out of Africa. All right? Okay. So let's go back to, and shout out to both uh, gentlemen, History Debunked. I'm going to go through a little bit more of his work and see some more nuggets that I could uh, dig out. And I am so happy to know that at least a million people saw this. And I was just skimming through the con uh, comments. And some people were like, yeah, you know, this is the history that they're not telling people. And one person said, I'm glad to see that black and white people are talking about this. And they're absolutely correct. Because we don't want, those of us that want truth and search for truth, we're not looking for truth to be favorable for black folks. I'm personally not even looking for truth to be favorable regarding my ancestors. I'm looking for truth. That's what it is. Truth stands on its own. It don't need nothing subtracted to it or added. Okay? So this is why the argument of the ADOS movement for reparations, why it'll never occur and why it can always be debunked and why it always goes nowhere. Okay? Because it can be proven that slavery was not exclusive to blacks in America. It can be proven, right? So shout out to History Debunked again. This is episode two, the white slave trade of Africa. And then shout out to Medicine Man, uh, the monsters of Africa and Europe. All right. So let me see how much of this I want to read. Um, I think I'm going to stop right here on this one because this is long enough. Okay, I think you all got the point <laughs> of where I was going with this. Um, so family, just to recap, because I know this was long. I know this was long because I combined two things. We went over who the freedmen were. 
okay? Freedmen Bureau, formerly known as the Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen in Abandoned Lands, was established in 1865 by Congress to help millions of formerly black slaves and poor whites in the South in the aftermath of the Civil War. The Freedmen's Bureau provided food, housing, and medical aid, established schools, and offered legal assistance. It also attempted to settle former slaves on the land confiscated or abandoned during the war. Okay, so that's all the Freedmen were. And that's what the Freedmen Bureau was. Now, when we get into black slavery, let me go back to the beginning of this. Okay, so we read about half of it, so that's good enough. Because otherwise, I would have to keep going <laughs> and debunking the rest of that. But I think I debunked a, enough of what's in this article. And not so much debunking as if um, the uh, Halliburton, who, just a reminder, here's the original Halliburton crest. Halliburton you see that melanated head up there, okay? So one of them black European kingdoms. So the author with the surname Halliburton, I'm not trying to say that they intentionally didn't tell everything raw the way they were supposed to. I don't know if it was just what they were taught, um, but they certainly did not have the entire picture in here as well. So I just hope with this journey, this journey that I've gone through with this particular podcast, you all see how you literally have to keep digging into the multiple sources to get to the truth. Because what they are telling you is the official narrative is further from the truth. All right. But just again, as a reminder to free black owners of slaves, um, we've already gone through, and you should understand by now, the category of the, um, the black slave owners were freed blacks who either purchased their way out of freedom, they purchased their way out of freedom, slash out of those indentured servant contracts, and then... If they could afford to, or if they wanted to, they purchased family members out of slavery as well. Okay. And they said, where did these free blacks come from? Some had never been slaves. They had been indentured servants who had become free. Some had purchased their freedoms. Others were born of free parents while some were born free of misogynation and remember misogynation was the mixing of races okay others were born of free parents we can look at that as um they were born as status so meaning they had affluent parents so meaning their parents either tied back to the bloodline of the black nobility of Europe or 
their parents were in the favor or they worked for the black uh, European crown. Okay, so I know this was long, family. I apologize. Um, I just wanted to give you all an overview of who the freedmen were and also bring into the concept of black slave owners, break down the various categories of black slave owners, and also discuss slavery in general, not just being exclusively to blacks being captured by whites and brought from the coast of Africa and brought over to the America as slaves. No, 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 no. Goes back a lot, lot deeper than that because you had white folks who were slaves as well. Millions of white folks were captured of, as slaves by the Barbaries, okay? All right, and then we went into how over in Europe and Asia or your Asia and Africa, how they were all warring with each other. Okay, so the Barbary capturing and taking folks up into slavery and Europe warring with the Barbary. And when you think of Europe, you cannot think of white people. You have to reverse that and think of black folks because they held the seat of power then. So hence, that goes back to the black on black war. That goes back to the black on black wars. Okay. So hopefully this gives you a better picture. Um, we're going to stay on this and uh, keep taking various topics on this so everyone could keep getting a clearer picture on what went on. And I hope out of all of this, this is even more encouragement for you to research your family's lineage, research your heritage, so you will know exactly where your people were during these time frames when they talk about the 17 and the 1800s. You can know through records, oh, okay, well, you know, my family members, they were a freedman, or, you know, my family members, they were the Indians, or my family members, you know, came over as black Europeans, or my family members owned slaves. So you can know exactly where your family stood, okay? So I wish everyone well on this Saturday, child. That just sparked me to use the Saturday to drop this podcast, but it's all good. It's, it's information that needs to be out. I wish everyone well on this Saturday. If you are not subscribed to us, I highly encourage you to hit subscribe, like, and share. This is Rhonda with WTUZ Radio Podcast. Peace and love, family.